one. Hello, everyone. I'm Zahid from Talks at Innovation Valley. You know, every week we come with an amazing guest to you with a, uh, you know, special guest from around the globe. Today, we have a very amazing and talented lady who is leading an uh, organization named Anthology, formerly known as uh, Blackboard. We have today Richa Batra, who is the uh, vice president and general manager of Anthology, formerly known as Blackboard. I'm so happy that she's with us. So uh, really warm welcome, Richa, to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me and making time for conversations like this. You're welcome. Before, Richa, before we jump into the formal question list, I would love to know about your uh, journey so far, about your schooling, about your background, where you're born, uh, your journey from India to USA. And I mean, you know, usually uh, it is said that women are not, not I say, but society think like this, that women are not good leaders, but I can see that you're leading an organization. So how all this is going on, how it, it, it all started, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, those are a lot of big questions. So thank you, thank you for, for asking them. And I'll, I'll start off with, I um, was born in New Jersey. My parents immigrated here from, from India. And so I'm a first generation um, Amer uh, American and I'm also a first generation college student. And I think some of those things have really um, are the reason why I do the work that I do today. And I think that obviously that culture um, that work ethic is just rooted in me and everything that I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go to college. Um, you know, I think I'm my my path to where I am today uh, is not what I expected at all. So, you know, I um, was very focused um, in high school being a student. I wanted to be a journalist, and that's really what I went to school for. And once I got there, I went to a very large a, a large state school focused on becoming a journalist. And, you know, at the time, this is the beginning of the internet. And at that time, you know, there wasn't access to information. We didn't have smartphones. And when you're a first generation college student, you also don't have the access and the resources to be able to understand what school should you go to, what your major should be. Um, and so as we have these further conversations of, of what support is available today versus what was available before. I think it's it's really important at the time I was going to school, you're, you're basically reading a couple of um, pamphlets that come from universities to be able to select one. And I think once I selected one, I quickly realized that that type of major was not necessarily a good fit for me. Um, you know, I had was going to be on financial aid, high need, um, to be able to pay for school. And I was gonna leave school with a substantial amount of financial aid debt. So I really, um, I think within my first year realized I'm gonna need to select a major where I can graduate on time, uh, limit the amount of financial aid debt that I was gonna have and quickly start working. And so that was really my primary focus while I was in college was to be able to finish as quickly as possible and to get a job where I can pay off my debt. And I think, you know, looking looking at students today, and I think what's something that really continues to drive me is there wasn't these resources for students like me. You know, the language didn't even exist um, in the 90s that a first generation college student uh, didn't exist of Pell eligible or, you know, um, 
from underserved uh, communities. And I was all of those, all of those things. And so, you know, that's, that's part of my part of my journey. And I think once I graduated college, started doing work where I was able to quickly start paying off my debt, and then realized that I wanted to have a business degree, I became very interested in um, running a business, getting interested on the sales side, the client side, what are the financials, and because of that, I decided to go to get my MBA. And so I was working full time um, at a at a, an association focused on corporate training, corporate development, and professional development. And I was also getting my MBA at the same time. And so that whole process really led me to you know step by step led me to where I am today. But it wasn't it wasn't linear. And I think once I got my MBA, I realized okay, this is my time to be able to get into for-profit. I was very interested in um, I think mission-driven organizations. I'd worked for the Association for Talent Development. I wanted to go work for an ed tech company. And this was in you know, 2008, 2009, where economic downturn, and typically during those time periods, um, enrollments increase substantially at schools because people want to go back to school while um, you know, the economy is maybe uncertain. And so I was very familiar with the Blackboard story. I am I live in D.C. and was very familiar with that story and was looking for companies um, kind of at that at that point. And I found a startup that was started by early Blackboard founders and started working for them. Uh, within about a year, we were acquired by Blackboard. And then, you know, over the last year and a half, we merged with Anthology. And, um, you know, that's that's how I've come to, to where I am right now. Um, but over my 13 years here, I have been in various different positions. And, and currently, I'm the vice president and general manager of what we call our student success division. It's a people-based services business within Anthology. Um, and Anthology is known as uh, software to support institutions, including the learning management system, the CRM, as well as a student information system. And what we provide are those wraparound services to students to help them enroll and retain in school. And so, um, you know, I have run our client management teams, I've run our operation and delivery teams, and now I'm really focused on running the whole business to make sure how can we support more students? How can we increase enrollment rates and retention rates for institution? And then also running running this large business for anthology. So I'll pause there and see what questions you may have with that. So inspiring journey, Richa. <laughs> and thank you for today's topic. I mean, it was really amazing that proposed by you. First generation students from underserved populations and how wraparound services can create outcomes. So amazing. So I guess you already covered the first question that uh, mm -hmm. how you personally uh, take advantage of wraparound services and how was your journey. So I would jump to the second question. Mm -hmm. Richa, how do you define wraparound services and how this, this is different from the traditional academic support services? Sure. And, you know, you'll see this in articles. I think there was just one recently um, on one stops in Inside Higher Ed this week as well. So how we would define wraparound services is outside the classroom. And so, you know, many institutions have so many different departments and functions to be able to help students, but they're not always connected. 
Um, and I think we have seen we have seen a growing trend of institutions trying to do a physical and a virtual one stop. And so when I talk about wraparound services, it's typically supporting the student outside of the classroom, so outside of the academics, to be able to make sure that they enroll and persist. And you know, we do know the number one reason students don't enroll or they don't persist and graduate is financial reasons. So when we take a look at wraparound services, it could be anything from proactively reaching out to students who are interested in going back to school. Uh, maybe that they've stopped out. Maybe they're an adult learner over 25. Uh, maybe they, you know, right now we're seeing a lot of job switchers. People are changing their careers of what they want to do. So um, that's intervening proactively uh, very early on to make sure that we're partnering with that prospective student on the right program. And then I think once they've decided they want to enroll in a program, how do you make sure they're registering? So it's all of those tactics to be able to get them to register and enroll. Um, including, and then this is the biggest one, it's, it's financial aid. And this is, you know, based out of the U.S., the financial aid system, to be able to make sure um, students who need it have access to be able to have financial aid support, to pay for classes, to pay for housing. Um, and those questions are, what is the status of my financial aid? When am I going to get my refund? Um, I have a hold on my account. I, I'm unable to register for classes. And that's a, you know, those are, those are, direct barriers. And we are seeing that as well. Um, something is, that may seem small is I have a hold on my account um, for financial reasons. That could be the reason, especially for um, students of color to be able to stop out and not persist. And those, and when we say wraparound services, it's helping them through every step of the way of filling out the financial aid information, um, understanding why they have a hold on their account, what they can do, how they can register for classes. And then from there, ongoing technical support. Um, since we are living in this hybrid world now, and I just don't see that going away, the need for 24 by seven technical support to help a student that may not be able to complete their exam or assignment because of um, they don't remember password, those are real issues that continue to come up on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think these wraparound services are just um, you know current examples of how a student can interact or um, someone can intervene with them to make sure that they are persisting. Right. So Risha, what are some of the most common uh, challenges that students from underserved population face and how wraparound services can help to come out of those challenges? Sure. Um, I think first and foremost, the, the fact that there is language in a term of first generation or students that are coming from underserved populations, or maybe, you know, for me, English was not the only language or the primary language spoken in my, in my home. So all these factors, I think going into an institution um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of schools, especially the ones that we partner with, are doing really great work to be able to say, we've identified this cohort of students, and they are first generation college students, and we want to be able to help support them on their journey, with the goal of making sure that they are able to persist from semester one to semester two, from semester two to uh, graduation. So I think that's, that is the goal. And what, what can be helpful? I think a lot of it is, you um, 
that financial aid component of it, because we know that's, you know, that's the number one reason students don't persist or, or they stop out. But just some things as simple as this is, you know, three days before classes starting, a student that is coming from first generation population like myself, you don't necessarily have people around you that would know, you know, the three days before school, you should download your syllabus. You should make sure you have your course curricula. Um, you should start doing your pre-work and getting prepared for day one. You know, students who don't log in um, to be able to download this information until day one, day two, day three of classes, there is some known risk there with them being able to, you know, fall behind. So those are some things someone can intervene early on with the population. Um, you know, other things are checking in after the first day of classes. You know, I could say in my own my own personal experience years ago, th there's some classes that you just don't have experience with and you just don't have a comfort level. And, you know, being first first gen, you may not have a comfort level going to the professor and asking them question. I think a lot of times, and we're, we're seeing this now, if faculty um, don't necessarily look like you, do you feel comfortable going to them and asking them questions? Or do you feel like you should have the answers to these questions to begin with? Um, even asking, you know, advisors, um, a lot of these advisors have such high caseloads, hundreds of students. How can you quickly get into an advisor to be able to seek out help? So I think a lot of those services are, especially for first gen, there's additional need for proactive intervention. And then also just the 24 by 7 to support of someone that I'm not going to see on campus, but I can reach out to maybe ask questions that I don't feel comfortable because I feel like everyone else has the answers except for me. Right. Thank. And uh, my next question is, can you please share some examples of wraparound services and uh, who are the organizations who are already uh, providing these services? And can you also share some results and little bit data and rationale to prove really the wraparound services create results and outcomes in academic, in academics and otherwise? Absolutely. So, I mean, a couple, you know, we're working with primarily higher ed institutions, two-year and four-year schools. So community colleges, as well as four-year institutions, um, have components of these wraparound services. And, you know, some of the partners that we work with as well have, um, we support their virtualized one-stop. And that's when they're bringing together all of these um, departments and functions to really make it easy for the student on campus. And then we will replicate it virtually as well. Um, you know, a couple, couple of examples that I'll share with you, and we work with uh, particular partners, and, and I'll just use uh, for virtualized one-stop when we're doing financial aid, student accounts, or records and registration questions, you know, we have found in, in this one particular case I'll share with you, students that have interacted with our team, um, we saw that cohort 9% more likely to register for classes than students that were that did not interact with our team. So I think that you know that's an example of being able to provide this access of information to be able to ask questions, clarify questions, move their account questions further in the process. So that is not a barrier to be able to say, you know what, it's a week before classes. I don't have my financial aid to be able to pay. I'm going to, I'm not going to go to school this semester. Um, so that is one particular example as well. I think other, other areas of wraparound services, we've talked a lot about 
um, admissions, financial aid, technical support. I think other areas that students are looking for, and this is based out of a survey that Anthology has done over the last year or so. I mean, just with the just with the pandemic, I mean, the impact and the need for students has drastically changed. And then, you know, mental health being, you know, a, a concern and a worry of students. It's the highest related um, of, of a concern. You know, 90% of the students taking the survey said that they were experiencing challenges in, in mental health, um, paying for school, being able to graduate. So all of that is weighing on them. Um, you know, can institutions provide these support services to say, did you know we have access to be able to speak to this virtualized, virtual counselor, for example, to be able to talk through this? I mean, students that are going to school should be able to focus on making sure what they're learning and graduating. And we know students today have the burden of finances. Um, and then obviously, just over the last three years, additional mental health and well-being that is being added to it. You know, other other wraparound services that we're starting to see more of are, um, you know, ch child care. You know, there are many working parents that are going to schools, and that's a population we support uh, a lot is uh, adult learners of over 25 that have multiple um, reasons to go back to school. Maybe they're continuing to complete their degree. Uh, maybe they stopped years ago and are going back for another career or career changer. And with that, there's a lot of responsibilities of ad an adult learner, likely working full time, likely um, having to, to provide for child care as well, sometimes even adult care. And a lot of institutions are starting to see this as a way to be able to retain students. So that wraparound services of child care is becoming increasingly needed. And then, you know, tutoring, um, we all know institutions provide this, but I think a lot of students don't access it. So when you have intervention of talking to a student to be able to say, you know, you have a, you have a quiz coming up on Friday, how are you preparing? Did you know you can go, there's either virtualized um, uh, tutoring options, Let, let's get on the phone right now and take a look at what options they have to schedule you, or did you know you can go on campus and meet with a tutor for this particular statistics class? I think those are some additional examples of where we're going to start seeing some additional wraparound services and, um, you know, some some that we just don't talk enough about um, that I don't think people realize. I think people think that once you get into college, um, you're only worried about paying for your room and board. And there, there are ancillary expenses that people don't think of that will cause students to be able to step out. So um, access to transportation to get to campus. A, a car breaking down may be the reason you don't go to school, and it's just too frustrating to be able to continue. Um, you know, an, another one is food pantry services. And this is something that was not talked about at all years ago, but um, food insecurity is a reason students are not able to graduate. And if, you know, you're able to pay for your room and your board, but you don't have any money for food, of, of course, you're not going to have the ability to be able to to take your classes, do well in your classes, and to be able to stay focused. You're going to go say, I'm going to get a job um, doing something else. So how schools, colleges, and universities, you think, can have a system and process for wraparound services? Uh, what strategy and tips would you like to give to the institutions and the community sure. organizations? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's such a great question. I think, I mean, all the institutions are so focused on how do we help support students? 
And it just, um, you know that uh, these colleges and institutions are so um, willing and want to see their students enroll and persist. A, a couple things that I have seen, um, because we're, we're so, we're focused on inside the classroom, I think also thinking about what the student experiences outside the classroom is something that we work with a lot of our partners on and they're very committed to. Um, I'd like to see that even broader. How can institutions look at the student experience from every population type, uh, whether it's first gen, underserved population, student of uh, 25 or older, for example, a traditional student, and see what the needs are from the, from those particular personas and profiles, because it, it is likely going to be something different. And then from there, I think what how can we make it easier for students to be able to get what they need done um, to graduate? I mean, ultimately, that's what the goal is. How can these students not only enroll in the right program, thrive throughout their time in college, but then graduate with a job with as little financial aid debt as possible? Um, and that's what we'd like to get to. And I think institutions can look at the simplicity of the process and that how do you create more of these on-ground and virtualized one-stops for students to be able to have that ease and that 24 by seven support to make sure that they are getting what they need. I think, you know, your question on community, um, I think it's a really good, good question. I think I'd love to be able to see more communities um, within these campuses get involved. I think my first reaction is, food pantry services. I would love to see local communities support these college campuses by supporting food pantry. And I think resources that may, um, you know, that may be additional expense for institutions. Right. So uh, when we talk on the wraparound services, you know that in general and overall in all the countries around the globe, academic is still dominating the education but right now traditional and academic is not the solution you know that when students come out of school college or university they are not fit for the industry they are not fit for the world the the, the practical world and industry is entirely different and you know pace of change is so erratic and so fast i mean I must say the world is changing every nanosecond. <laughs> so keeping in view all this context and scenario, how we can take wraparound services beyond academic, I mean, in the practically and also to uplift every aspect of the other. Um, um, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, obviously all of us go to school to be able to get a better job. And I think you're seeing a lot of job changers right now too of saying, okay, well, um, this maybe wasn't the right major for me in college. I'm going to think about doing a certificate program or again, I'm going to go back to school. I think one thing, um, I think wraparound beyond academic is looking at career services. And I mean, something that I'll, I'll point out, what we have noticed in a recent survey and study within anthology is over 58% of students want more career services from their institutions to help them get a job after graduation. Um, and then also, you know, we are seeing from institutions and universities that they're actually only 15% of institution leaders are planning to invest in career services. So I think there's a disconnect here in terms of what students are looking at in order to get a job after graduation, but also a job that meets the market needs as well. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're seeing this, I just saw in the news just recently, 
a local DC university was going to reduce the number of liberal arts programs. Um, and I think those are a lot of conversations that universities and institutions are having right now about the programming and what drives jobs after graduation. And it can it be some of these micro credentials and certificate programs um, in tech, for example, that helps them get a job after graduation. But I think the the um, the involvement of career services is a, is a key one. And how many students actually know to engage with career services and know how to get that job? And even before then, how many students know how to get an internship? Um, you know, I'll speak for myself as a first generation college student. I did not have a network of people that I could say, oh, I'm interested in an internship. And I think some people who have access do have that opportunity. So how do we get those students to be able to say the career services is where you should be your sophomore year, start working on your resume, start working on uh, examples to be able to share, whether it's volunteer work and building this out to, and how do you interview for that potential internship? I think all those steps are really important that I didn't have or I didn't go through that I think students today need to in order to make sure that they are set up to have a job right out, outside of college. Right. Richard, you know, when we do something in academics, I mean, if you want to do master's, Mm -hmm. or if you want to do a startup, if you want to build a business, everything has an approach, technique, templates and curriculum. You know, there are established things in the world. But when we talk on the wraparound services, mm -hmm. is there any research, technique, templates, curriculum, approach, strategy and working available around the globe that people can use to build a good system for the wraparound services? I mean... Oh, go ahead. Nice. Okay. Um, so I would I would say in terms of wraparound services, depending on size and scope and the the global reach of the particular institution, things to take a look at is um, what are the various different populations of students and what is the persona and how do we serve those students? I think just like any any business, we would want to see who do we serve. And in this particular case, understanding all the segments of who do we serve from the student population and starting there to be able to say, what are the largest barriers for these students to be able to stay in school? And so from, from there, if, let's continue to use the example of financial barriers are the number one reasons, then how do we make this process really easy and seamless and provide 24 by seven access for these particular students? How do we look at our processes internally to make sure that they match and as are equally as easy for the students to be able to go through. So, I mean, that's that's a starting point. And we do see some, you know, some of our partners that are really student centric and focused and start with the student at the center to be able to build out institutional processes. And then from there, I mean, you're seeing you're seeing the results with some of our partners to be able to say they're increasing the number of um you know, Hispanic students within their population. And that is a goal of theirs to be able to increase the number of, of students um, over the next five years. So, you know, that's just one example that I use that can be an approach in terms of starting these wraparound services. I think access to technology, obviously, over the last three years, it's an imperative. Um, but students, I mean, some, some of the data that we've seen in research that Anthology has done is in a survey, over 80% of students want to have either fully remote or hybrid options. That just allows flexibility that we didn't have before. I think you've always had to, had to choose, I want to be an online student or an on-ground student. 
And I think COVID has, has shifted that model for us as well to be able to say, I'm a student, I want to be able to choose the mode based off of what's going to be best suited for me um, and to be able to manage the rest of my life outside the classroom. So those are two specific examples. I would, you know, as it's institutions are looking at it, be, start with the student at the center and then also look at, you know, modes of technology and access to technology to be able to drive that further. Ultimately, we want our students to be able to persist and graduate and get the jobs that they want to. And these are just a couple of ways to be able to start that process. Right. And you, it's really interesting that COVID has shifted the models. I mean, I was just on the sideline. I was just uh, um, changing a few things in my LinkedIn account. And uh, the LinkedIn asked me, hey, this experience of you was hybrid online or yes. on-site so so you know it, it's interesting so we have now three options and i think yes hybrid is the best right <laughs> so you know when we talk on the wraparound services you know government can play a very good role do you i have two questions on it one mm -hmm. do you think governments are serious on the wraparound services number one number two do you uh, idealize any country which is doing good in this space? Um, you know, great questions. And I would, I would say, I mean, specifically talking about uh, the, the U.S. here as well, obviously the institutions themselves, whether they're publicly funded or private institutions are the ones really um, implementing these types of wraparound services, and um, you know that's that's who we're partnering with. And you know, I couldn't I couldn't answer your second question. I I think there's so many great examples of universities, in particular, all over the world, um, that have taken a student centered approach uh, that we work with. That that they really are focused on. Okay, over the next five years. How can we increase the number of students from uh, that are um, high financial aid need to be able to graduate? And I see a lot of those examples every day with the work that we're doing with um, higher ed institutions. And Richa, mm -hmm. no matter what we are talking, no matter what is available in the world, there is one thing we call intention, urge, mm -hmm and behavior, how we could convince the community around us, education leaders, corporate leaders, and every leaders from every space that mm -hmm. wrap around services are need of the hour, how we could convince. You know, for, for anyone listening who will listen to this, I would say, I mean, think about the students that don't have access don't have people to ask questions to. And, and I'm, spe I'm speaking about myself as well here. Um, think about that and how can we help these students? Because we want to be, you know, the students that are able to persist and graduate and get jobs, it's only going to continue to help all of our workforces in any community or country that we're in. So we want to make sure that we're expanding the population of students that are able to go to school, uh, fill in the roles of the, of the roles that we need, and I think for, for me, just making sure that we're providing that access 
very early on. We're intervening and that's going to drive the results. I mean, if every institution is looking at uh, enrollment projections and the number of students they graduate, I would highly encourage you to look at all the populations to be able to say, these are the steps that we need to take to be able to intervene with these populations that may not have access, may not have support systems to make sure that we are proactively reaching out to them so they can graduate. Um, you know, that, that, would be my, that would be my feedback on the question. Right. Since you are working in an ad tech company, mm -hmm. and you know that for the last almost three years, ad tech companies are, you know, getting day by day increasing around the globe. So what role do you think ad tech companies can play in this space? I think, I think ed tech companies, I mean, obviously I've been here for so, for so long that I think ed tech companies can really partner nicely with, with institutions. And we work with so many different clients that are coming to us to say, you know, here are our challenges. We're looking to, to increase enrollment for this segment of the population, our adult learners, for example. So I think ed tech companies are able to provide um, examples and scale of maybe where this has worked. You know, we're working across many different um, institution types, size, private, public, and we're able to be able to share examples of what we've learned, you know, not using specific um, institutional names, but be able to say, we've been able to increase enrollment in this particular um, program type by doing these actions. And I think that's where the, a partnership really is between uh, higher education and ed tech to be able to do that. I also think the technology side of where can an ed tech provider um, offer assistance and technology to institutions and universities to be able to scale? Um, you know, that's another, another part of it as well. How can we make it more efficient um, and not increase costs for universities as well? Right. So Richa, trust me, it was so insightful. Uh, I will be asking the last question. Mm -hmm. What journal advice what general advice would you like to give to all the young entrepreneurs from around the globe? Anything that can inspire them, that can, you know, that, that can motivate everybody. Uh, absolutely. And thank you for asking the question. I also, you know, want to answer, I think, one of your first questions when we started today about being a, a woman leader within a net tech company. And, you know, for I... If one person is listening to this and is able to say, okay, I can, I can do this, I can consider um, going to business school, or I consider running a company or a division, um, that is, I think that is the, you know, largest benefit of this conversation. Um, you know, of, of course, I think throughout my journey, I always wanted to continue to grow and learn. And I think that's one, one thing that I hope that never leaves me. Like, I always want to be my best self and be better. Um, and that's how I'm gonna continue to grow my career personally and, and professionally. And I just, um, no matter where you are today, you are ahead of where you were last year. And that's how I look at it too. It's all these incremental changes and investing in, your, in yourself. Um, you know, I think a lot of times doubt factors in here, especially if you're an entrepreneur or you're trying to go to school, trying to pay for school, there's so many reasons why not to persist. We hear no more than we hear yes. And I just encourage everyone to have a practice of what is the purpose of what you're trying to do? 
who who are you serving and to make sure you're continuing to be grounded on that. And that's something I do as well. You know, I need to stay focused of why am I doing this? Why is it important? Who do I serve? How am I learning and growing? And I think that's something that has helped me, uh, you know, over, especially over the last few years during the, during the pandemic. And so that those are, those are my thoughts for you. And I think, you know, the question about women, women leaders, I think as, as my career has grown and I've managed more, more people over the years, um, you know, I have, I have over 1200 people that report into my, into my division. I feel very responsible for making sure that everyone has a voice and I think, you know, truly from a business standpoint in a net tech company, you know, half of our users are, are female and, and we need to make sure that we have representation in every step of that way. Are we looking at it from uh, student users and what the experience is there? Are we looking at it from uh, making sure we're diversified? To diversifying our employee populations. I think making sure people have a voice to represent all types of leaders and all types of employees is incredibly critical. Um, and especially over the last few years, you're seeing female leaders stop out of work. Um, and I think why is that important for everyone and for everyone to think about is that is just, we need to make sure that we're keeping our female leaders uh, within workplace growing their roles to make sure that we have diverse communities um, and companies as well. All right, uh, Richa, trust me, it was really insightful. And I'm really thankful to you for joining today's show. And I'm sure that our audience from around the globe will learn a lot out of this podcast. And uh, I don't think it would be our last podcast. Hope in the future we will have more. So thank you so much for joining. Thank, thank you so much for having me. And it was great to meet you.